0: late in the evening, you just got home, kicked off your boots, poured yourself a drink and stretched out on your lounge chair. You're looking for some sweet distraction. As you browse your screen, what catches your eye? It's a post of a colleague? Work stuff? Business news? Do you click on a freaking advertising? (laughs) I don't think so you go for something that resonates with you, visually, culturally, intellectually, a relevant story, something that's entertaining. And that's what brands have to provide today to gain the attention and the interest of their audience. And that's why I'm talking to someone who successfully founded and grew his company on the idea of bringing business and entertainment together. Sweet people, welcome to the Sweet Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Zeus, and if you want to find and share the sweet spot of your brand, you've come to the right place. Today, I'm talking to Matthew Smith. He's an entrepreneur, and entertainer, and you're in for a fun episode. Matt was a child actor before he entered the world of finance and investment, but his calling to be on stage was strong, and so he started to work as a host and a presenter, first as a side gig, soon making it his full-time job. He realized the potential of bringing business and entertainment together and founded the Lunicorn, a company for innovation and entertainment. A lot has happened since then. He sold his company, the big exit, every founder's dream, but soon bought it back. This and many other amazing stories await you in this episode, along with insights from the startup world on how to found and grow a business and some great lessons for personal growth. So, without further ado, enjoy my talk to Matt Smith. Welcome to the sweet side. This is the sweet spot podcast with Mark Zeus, investigating
1: entrepreneurship, purpose, and the creative life.
0: sweet people it's my pleasure to welcome to the show matt hey how are you
1: mate i love that you call everyone sweet people hello sweet people i'm <laughs> waving at you you can't see me waving because you're yeah. probably listening to this can uh, feel as it. a podcast but um they can feel it i'm sending uh, a, a strong wave and love through the through the microphone here hello sweet people and hello mark how are you doing
0: mate <laughs> you're in cape town right now how's life there
1: Wow, life here is, as you'd imagine, in the summer months of the Southern Hemisphere, and that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's heaven, man, it's heaven. I don't know if many of you listening to this have been there, but it's, um, you know, we tend to, as, uh, as Europeans, those of you who are listening to this are European, you know, we, we get the luxury of traveling around Europe and all these different locations, right? But, um, but South Africa, it's definitely on a bucket list of a lot of people, I know that. And I'm actually South African, so mm-hmm. I, I came down here last October, only for a wedding, for one month intending to go back to lisbon or elsewhere yeah. but i stayed and i'm still here and it's uh, recording this uh, you know in the beginning of uh, of 2022 that's good that's amazing you
0: bring some summer vibes into this this is perfect
1: hopefully <laughs> hopefully i'm sending some some rays of sunlight Absolutely. to wherever you are in uh, in dark winter months
0: 100 <laughs> percent. when sweet people will listen to this it's something about mid of march or something i think we're going to air this and it's still going to be cold and kind of shitty weather up here so it's good to bring some rays Mm. of sunlight in that's perfect
1: 32 degrees right now (sighs)
0: okay (laughs) (laughs) we're happy for you (laughs) not jealous at all so matt you are as many of my guests a creative entrepreneur you're in a very special situation after exiting your startup but We're going to talk about this later. I want to start at the beginning, I would say, where we first met. Because um, I think it was three or four years ago in Hamburg when we both had our startup companies and we were participating in an accelerator program. And I remember the first time seeing you. You were giving a pitch and I was thinking, what's that guy doing up there? Next to all of us, (laughs) in a good way, business nerds, you know, because they were the programmers and the marketing guys and everyone was geeking out about their startup." And you just stood up there, had a little talk show, you were an entrepreneur and also an entertainer of some sorts and you were absolutely on top of your business, you're a freaking professional but still you had so much energy and enthusiasm and you were so connected to your startup and your product and that really impressed me and at the time... You were the CEO and founder of Lunicorn, a company for innovation infotainment, and you were creating multimedia innovation stories. You can watch it on YouTube, read the Medium, listen to the to the podcast you do. So can you tell us a little bit about the story of your former startup, Lunicorn, and how your entertainer genes were totally a match for that?
1: <laughs> Cheers, mate. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking me back to, to was it 20. 20- Eighteen or nineteen? I think it was nineteen when we we yeah. both joined that yeah, program, no. right? So um, so yeah, quite a few years. Late ago. eighteen,
0: I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, late eighteen. Exactly. You're right. Actually, yeah, yeah. And that's when we all got accepted, and then uh, and then started the program. Then, so so um, firstly, I had a kind of parallel career. So just for everyone's context, my my background um was venture capital in London. I I was I've always been in, involved in the. If you know, quote unquote, startup innovation in ecosystem. Uh, Mm I was fortunate. My my first sort of my first career um, was in venture capital in London, um, in media, actually, for Condé Nast, the uh, largest privately owned media company in the world. For context, for those of you who who hadn't heard of it, I've never heard of it before I started working there, to be honest. Um, It owns Vogue. Magazine, GQ, Vanity Fair, and yep. all the other titles. There's 123 titles, right? So, so I started yep. in venture capital there, investing in lifestyle tech businesses. And I remember this. I was uh, I was asked in I think it must have been 2013 when I was just starting that job. Um, you know, at 23, 20. Two, twenty-three years old, to do uh to do my first stage appearance, right? To to talk publicly. Mm. And I remember going to my boss, who's a German guy called Jan Zabota. big love to that guy, taught me a lot of things. Um, and he he I asked him, I was like, Jan, I've been asked to speak at this event. Um, and I was, I, I, I was terrified. Um, but I I really wanted to do it. And I thought he'd say, Matt, you know, like, come on, like, you know, no. But he was like, okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions and see how you respond, you know? So All he asked right. me a few, Perfect. He, he tested me on the spot just in his meeting room, you know, in his office uh, room. And, you know, he asked me some pretty straightforward questions and I gave some answers. He said, yeah, great. Uh, I trust you. Uh, try to speak slowly, you know, try to, uh, you know, um, you know try, to, try to be humble and, and just talk about yeah. how we're supporting the things. Anyway, so I, so I remember I did that show. That was sort of, I, I call it a show because I, I got on stage and I remember I made a joke it was about someone else on stage um, who was in a panel with me, another VC. Now, I was, as I said, 22, 23 years old. And this other VC was, I don't know, late 40s, early 50s. And he complained about something, about how hard it is to raise capital. And I made a joke uh, just on the spot about, um, mm-hmm. oh, maybe it was in your era. And everyone loved it. You know, like basically, and, what, 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 and it was completely off the cuff. It wasn't pre-rehearsed. It just came to me in the moment. And I, and I yep. was like, wow. I like this. I like to be in front of people and to add value, but also entertainment value and and humor Mm -hmm. because otherwise the panel was pretty boring. It was like, so tell us how you invest in X and Y, Y. And and mm -hmm. I was there just sort of answering questions as a corporate person would. But I was like, we're in the startup game. This should be fun and entertaining. Anyway, so I got my bug then. So 2013, And basically gradually, over the next couple of years, until 2018, when I actually founded that business, it's been five years now, and I did a series mm-hmm. of different things in between that, I started to have this parallel to my normal career that was paying me a salary, whether it was a V.C. or, or, or whatever, um, as a public speaker. Mm-hmm. you know, and it started slow. Uh, I was never paid, obviously, I didn't even know you could be paid to do this kind of thing. But I slowly was asked again, I thought, Oh, this, 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 uh, this, at the beginning, you know, this, this kids kind of, kind of entertaining, because I was talking about innovation, entrepreneurship, tech, whatever the, the, the topic was, but in an entertaining way, which was, I I'd like to think it was educational and it was more educational than just going up there and talking about a dry topic in a very yeah. serious manner, which can work and can be right for the right topic area. It also de- depends on your audience. But I would go up there and just add humor to it and, and, and in- audience interaction and, and things that an entertainer would do, not someone talking about AI in medtech, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so anyway, so this, this sort of drew me to 2018 when I met you where... That year, I quit my job as a, I was running an investor accelerator in Oslo, in Norway. Mm -hmm. Um, I quit my job that year uh, because just got to the point where that parallel career of passion, of infotainment, I I started to be able to charge And the day rates were, you know, you know, anything from a thousand euros to 4000 euros, depending on what I was Mm -hmm. doing. And, you know, so I decided that I was finally going to try and monetize my passion by creating a media business that brought infotainment to the tech industry, like Vice Media did to news. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's a that's a great example. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's when we met. So that sort of takes us up to that point. Um, and that sort of was the beginnings of Lunicorn. And there's, I can tell you lots more of how that snowballed into different verticals and how we monetized it and how we raised one and a half million and then how I sold it. Um, But you let me know which direction you want to go in. Who knows? If only, if only, Mark, we could have an audience interaction right now. Pick, pick option A, B or C. Do you want to go in this direction, that direction or, you know, one day? Exactly, exactly. Looking forward
0: to that. That would be amazing. You could just, I'm just going to release like three episodes of us talking and then you can now switch to part one, two or three. (laughs) That's amazing. Exactly. No, but, um, but before we go more into depth, how you scaled up and ramped up the whole Unicorn business. I'm really interested in that first in that first part where you found your calling. I mean you've been in the in the investment industry, which is of course cool and progressive and it's you connect to a startup at just as you said, a lot of people are still straightforward. It's at the end of the day, it's still you talk about money, talking about investment, things get pretty serious sometimes. So I think this spark of being an entertainer has must have been within you before. Did you feel this before? Has there been some occasions when you felt like, ah, maybe I should do something else? Because a lot of people, before they align their inner calling or their inner creative voice with what they actually do for a living, there can be also some conflict sometimes. Did you ever feel that or did it just fall into place because you were lucky?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, of course, there's an element of luck, but I think, so when I was growing up as a child, I was an actor, I was a child actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was, I believe, 13 years old, so a decade before I did that speech, um, so 2003 versus 2013, um, you know, I I basically decided that acting wasn't for me because none of my friends were actors and you know it was it was very much like the glee club in that in that kind of you know series on on hbo where it's like the nerds the losers the gay kids the whatever it is um are in the acting club um you know uh and 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 i and i and you know and all my friends were like the jocks they wanted to play rugby and all these other sports whereas i was surrounded by these you know by these by these other other kids and I, i and i decided to shy away from 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 that glee club but i was an actor at heart i wish someone was there to encourage me to say matt carry on doing this you know um and and i didn't so i went through a decade of basically going through the finance route studying economics uh, doing a postgrad in finance but i had this uh, i always had this this this, this what if you mm-hmm. know what if i became an actor what if i what became a performer and and i think you know in my life uh, outside of work and everything else when i am hosting people when I say hosting, I'm talking about, you know, if you came my kitchen on the, on the left here, you know, if you, Mark, I'd love to host you for dinner. I love to host people. Yeah. So this role as a host, you know, when I, I like to cook as well. So I like to cook for people and I put on a big show. Like I'm talking, like I had a party here the other day and I had a musician, you know, like, and and I've, and I, you know, make a lot of fuss around. So I think I had inertly, um, this, this feeling of being a host as, as being sort of an entertainer mm-hmm. and f- serendipitously, my career got to a point where I could was asked to speak. And then I had this sort of meet cute moment as the movie industry says, where I was like, hold on a minute, you know, and, and I, and I sort of fortunately I met, um, an industry which hadn't seen too much of it as well, you know? So I thought I'd just go out there and try and try and be this entertaining person who added value in an, in, in an informative and knowledgeable way, yep. but delivered it in a memorable way. And, you know, I wanted, you know, quote unquote people to, learn while they laughed as opposed to being, and, and, and honestly, like I think up to that point when I, when I decided and i actually charged for the first time, cause I was asked, all right, what's your rate? And I'm like, I have no idea what to charge for this. You know, yeah. I had one of those beautiful moments where I was like, I would do this for free. And I had been doing it for free for four years or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, people were asking me to be, you know, paid for my time, which is, which is fair, of course, cause I'm taking years of, of, of training and being better at it and, and all of, all of that. So, um, so I think, you know, it was definitely one of those moments where I realized like, God, I do this for free and I was doing it for free, but mm-hmm. I got to a point now where I could actually charge for it. And, and I think that was definitely an inflection point for me.
0: Okay. That's now we caught up with 2018 when we met and I'm super interested. You just, over the last five years, up until that point, you started making a living from you being a presenter, entertainer in the business context. So, and then I'm very interested. Why did you choose to transform this into a startup? Because other people would might just say, okay, let's maybe write a book about it, go on a reading, performing tour, just make the most out of this business stand-up performance gigs. But you went mm. a totally different direction. You built it into a probably scalable startup. So what was the idea and how did you do that?
1: <laughs> so it's a funny one because I did things the other way around, right? So there is a um, famous media um, adage, which is the three C's: content, community, commerce. Right. So you create highly engaging content and valuable content that'll build a community, and then you monetize that community. So you leave that monetization to the end. Hmm. Now, if you think I do things in reverse, I uh, started in the business game working with startups, investing in startups, then, you know, helping startups and and et cetera, then starting my own. um, And I monetized, you know, I monetize from day one, right? So, so for example, a YouTuber would start on YouTube and, you know, Mm. grind. And if they could... If they could actually produce a video a week or a video, uh, uh, you know, every couple of days for two, three years, and their subscriber growth would reach a level where they could potentially actually get sponsors and then monetize, right? Like the traditional yeah. method. Yeah. Um, so I, I, went, I, I built a business and then tried to build a community and, and yeah. create content or yeah. well, create yeah. content in the community. So, so, and, and it, and it worked because it, well, it worked and it didn't work. Um, how that came about was simply I saw a need. Um, for infotainment in our industry. Uh, I wanted to be the brand where people came for lighthearted entertainment, but also educational value for our industry. Um, that's I wrote a book. Called the startup buzzword dictionary, which was which is uh, it's an awesome, funny book. Twenty three startup buzzwords all, from bootstrapping to exit, cartoon illustrated. It's my proudest moment because um, there is a lot of thought and intellectual humor that's gone into the cartoons. Yeah. I urge you to check it out. Um, but you know, I um, the, the how to build a scalable business out of it. I you know, I I could have gone out and been a brand myself you know, but I wanted to build a business behind it because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to build something that would last and add value outside of myself. Um, I could have, yeah, just produced content and on myself just to become a YouTuber or whatever else that was. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wanted to build a brand around myself because, you know, you can only work as much as you can with the hours and the day that you have. And then your va- the value of that time is only ever going to be an X amount of, you know, so I, I went straight, let's create a brand. Lunicorn. Uh, The name came about because I was looking for a working title for the project before I founded it in 2018. And my mentor and who then became one of my investors and chairman, uh, a gentleman called Andy Chen, he was the founder of the only music startup to ever compete with Spotify, Tidal.
0: Wow. All right. Mm. We've heard of
1: it. Well, he actually wasn't the founder. He he became the CEO. He was brought yeah. in and, and he and he sold he sold it to Jay Z. Yeah. Uh, incredible Amazing. story. But um but so he said to me, like, you know, thinking about names, I wanted to sort of have a name that was synonymous with our industry, hence the unicorn. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to be called the unicorn or the or the lean startup or whatever. So um I thought let's go for the unicorn, because there's an element of the lunacy around the term unicorn. Yeah. Looney tunes, we created yep. a cartoon character. Yep. Um, so I created this brand, quite honestly, definitely chose the wrong colors and schemes at the beginning. It should have been sexier and sleeker from the beginning, big lesson there. But um created this brand and went to market effectively as my own brand through this brand, instead of just being Matt Smith. It was let let's let's build the Lunicorn as a brand, create mm-hmm. content, create engaging educational. Um, video content specifically that's mobile optimized, so it's only meant to be seen on mobiles um, and uh, and yeah and then and then the ball started rolling. that's sort of how we got to that point. That's a good story so yeah, and
0: then you took part in the accelerator program in Hamburg um, and a while after that, you did your exit. but before before we get to what happened after you exiting your company. I'm really interested in the combination of business and information and entertainment because this is something that looks so, if you talk about it and if you look at it from the outside, it's, oh yeah, infotainment. It's been around for a while and still so little people do it. And I think it's more than ever incredibly important to everyone listening, no matter if you're an artist, a creative, an entrepreneur, founder, or if you just run a team and listen to this because you're interested in entrepreneurship. I think you are competing today with whatever you do, You're basically not competing with your industry or service or product competitors. You're competing for the attention of the people, right? So you're competing with Spotify, podcasts, Netflix shows, with everything else. So the element of entertainment or at least being somewhat entertaining and what you have to tell people is more important than ever, I think. So what have you experienced? What do you think about is the biggest gap between the world of business and entertainment? What can they learn from each other?
1: Well, I think, you know, it's never been more important than it is today to create a brand, right? Um, a good example of that is a friend of mine um, is a really awesome entrepreneur, a guy called da- uh, Daniel um, uh, murray Serta. Uh, he also has a podcast called Secret Leaders, which I believe was number one in the UK, actually, a business podcast um, mm-hmm. a, year, a year or two ago. Now, Stephen Bartlett's taken over. He, he created a brand out of a problem, basically, which was brain health. Right so he 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 struggled with insomnia he was a vegan he thought he was eating everything perfectly healthily but actually you know his diet was contributing to his insomnia anyway mm. I made a few episodes about it go check it out it's interesting um and what he learned when he was going through some tests and spoke to some 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 holistic health individuals was his diet was 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 contributing to his issues um, so he started he started to talk about brain health and this idea around you know are you eating right for your brain? How often do you think about your brain health as opposed to your physical health and in your mental health or whatever yeah. and and you know he he wanted to you know like it was it, brain health like who's going to buy something for the you know brain health it, 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 you know you need to market it in in, in an engaging way so he mm-hmm. created a brand out of it and he and he built this podcast behind it, used the three c 's content community commerce started an email um That's right. I urge you to check out their story. It's really cool. Uh, Really cool. And they started a company called Heights. Um, your heights which is a Mm -hmm. brain supplement right and now they sell a supplement uh, you know so there are there are there are a health food company effectively which which helps you support uh, positive brain function and things like that so i think that's a really good example of how they've used a, a strong purpose and a brand built a brand around a strong purpose um and that is the reason they are successful because they built a brand and they built that brand because they have an engaging podcast called the brain podcast i believe it is or something like that um and they produce very engaging content that's informative so I feel like it's never been more important to be a brand but also be a brand that's positioned as a thought leader in your game or your industry you know yeah. that brand needs to be an archetype of a character of an individual that you believe your audience would engage with right and and I think that's just so important for businesses today to sort of to create a brand really because everyone is on social media they are fighting over attention, and I um f- you know the brand they created almost has a personality you know when they do posts they, it has a kind of humor to it uh, an entertainment value to it mm-hmm. they're talking about brain health, brain function they're talking about neurons they're talking about things that formerly weren't marketed in an entertaining way yeah, yeah. you know and they, and, and but they 're topical, for example, you know the whole have you seen the wordle the world's obsessed with wordle have you seen this yeah. this, this game yeah, 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 yeah. right that's sure. just been bought by the new York Times right and they they released. Uh, uh, a spoof of it, and they said so. If, if, if those of you who are familiar with Wordle, you have five attempts to get five words and get guess the, the 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 word at the end of those five attempts. So you just guess a word at the beginning, and you know it'll say it's yep. green if one of the letters is in the right place and gray if yep. they're not. They 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 showed two photos on their app. Now bear in mind they're selling a brain supplement for positive mm-hmm. brain function. Mm-hmm. One photo of someone who's failed on five attempts to get the Wordle, and then they were like before heights after heights, right? Responsive, yep. interactive, yep. engaging, yep. Um, you know, and that was brilliant, I thought. And so just to, to emphasize the point why I think entertainment and humor, that was funny, is important yep. because, yep. you know, like, I like their brand, I would choose to buy their products over someone else because, because of that post, because they have a sense of humor.
0: Perfectly well said. Yeah. Great example because it's such a scientific topic. And if you think about brain health and supplements, it's you can see the stats and the list of ingredients and nutrition popping up. And then yeah, with this wordle before after thing. It's it's a great example. Absolutely. And I think if I, I, I saw one of your videos on your on your website and um you hosted hundreds of events and you spoke to thousands of people in yeah, when you were a speaker and a presenter. And I think you're superpower is to engage to entertain and connect with the audience and i don't think it has only an effect on the brand audience but also on the brand itself Um, you do live shows for companies and i think there is something that can boost morale and increase productivity even so maybe you can go into this a little bit because it's not only on the marketing side which means Mm. okay create engaging content for your content marketing strategy or media outlets so i think it also has a very great effect on the inside right Mm. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think it's funny you ask right now because, for example, I just literally got off the phone before we started this podcast with my sister, my younger sister, who's amazing, and she's interviewing someone tomorrow in Singapore on a on a large stage. You know, she's she she's actually recently been kind of getting into public speaking just because she's at a point in her career where they're asking her to talk at shows and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Now she's sort of she's also in a similar industry. She 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 works in the inter- interjection between fintech and 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 you know the um. Uh, the corporate world. Um, yeah. And so she's asking me, like, you know, she's started to do a couple of these now, um, you know, and she's she's like, okay, so yeah, you know, give me some advice, like how, how to do this. She's obviously scared, like many people are, of course, yeah. before they speak publicly with anyone. And there's a few things I just say, like, this is just a side note, just some tips about presenting slightly off, 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 uh, off track here, but- We take it, you know, we take the, it. <laughs> good, yeah, the, the, the audience is your friend, you know, like the audience is not there to laugh at you and point at you and go, boo. No, yeah. they're there to say, to, to clap, to cheer, they're out of choice, right? So, so, but going back to your point about you know how to engage with people in this kind of this setting, what I've said to her really is is, is to remember that you know um, if 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 you make a mistake, no one knows the script that you're going to be reading off or that you're trying to keep in your head. Mm-hmm. You're the only one who knows the script, or someone else who's seen it or whatever. The audience doesn't know, and the audience it, it always wants to support someone who's human and uh, is engaging in a, in a genuine way you know no one goes up on stage and makes no errors you know mm. humans go up on stage and make a couple of errors right so yep. don't go up and be a robot anyway so i've just sort of seen um the benefits of you know using humor using um not taking yourself too seriously i guess is what i'm trying to say you know mm-hmm. and that's what i've always done when i go on stage i make errors all the time hopefully i'm working better at speaking slower being you know better pronounced i can of course adapt to my setting if i am in a very corporate setting and and you know and 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 i i will tone down the humor and and just use it at the points that it's needed but at the same time i can also flip that on its head to the point where i created a live show i created this live show concept right which which i think is probably where you're getting at a little bit with this which which i sell to corporates right so yeah, exactly. um many of you listening to this you sweet people you oh god i want to meet these sweet people <laughs> <Mark>. <laughs> um they uh you you you, you many of you probably seen saturday night live in new york or the tonight show you know mm-hmm. with trevor noah or with um james corden jimmy kimmel jimmy fallon these these talk show hosts, late night talk yeah. show hosts, yeah. you know, yeah. who yeah. Who, get, who get guests on. And the formats are pretty similar because it's a working format, you know, it's sort of a, it's a show, they do an opening segment, a couple, they're all like kind of comedians by trade. So they do a couple of intelligent, some of them more political, John Oliver more polit- politically intelligent jokes, some more uh, societally celebrity intelligent jokes. Yeah. Um, and then they interview a celebrity or whatever, right? You know, and then they do some segments, right? Uh, and then they finish with a feel good moment and everyone claps and cheers and they have a house band, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. Right. We like that, exactly. but it's, 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 it's awesome. So I was like, why does this not exist for the startup industry? So, cause it would be fun, right? Like we go to the startup industry is full of events. Like my sister's talking at tomorrow, like you and I have been at them a thousand times where it's either a demo day, a startup pitch off, yep. uh, some VC talking about what they look for in its founders, some you know, whatever, right? We we we've all been to the same one time and time again, and if just a different location and and whatever, right? So I um, I thought I would make those shows uh, more entertaining, so I created this basically the Tonight Show for the tech industry. So I took the format that, and the formula that I know works. And I basically, um, instead of interviewing celebrities, so I do an opening segment where i make jokes and I talk about, you know, whatever it is, um, I'll do an opening segment and then I'll interview founders. I swapped out like m- interviewing Brad Pitt in and, and someone else with yep. the founder of X business and, yep. and added humor. And then I created games like Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel do and James Corden, um, you know, where they make a celebrity eat hot hot wings or whatever it is, you know, I created a show where I would bring on these entrepreneurs and I'd put them against each other. I'd make them guess uh, buzzwords because I did a book on buzzwords, startup buzzwords, the jargon that we all obsessed with. So I added these humorous, uh, entertaining bits where we all, for a minute, we all learned because I would say, for example, Mark, do you know what vaporware is as a startup buzzword? Do you know what that is? A vaporware? what? Vaporware. It's, it's, a, it's an official ter- term given to something in our industry, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. No Vaporware,
1: idea. right? And I would ask these founders who are these amazing <laughs> figures, and they'd all be like laughing and trying to figure it out, you know. Exactly. And, and Vaporware is basically a software that gets created, but never sold and pushed out. So basically a team could work. Vaporware happens a lot in big tech companies like Facebook and Google, where they'll build, they'll spend millions of dollars building something, and then they'll decide not to ever launch yep, it yep, or, yep, yep. or it just, yeah. That's called vaporware because it's a software that just, you know, disappears like, like, right. you know. right. anyway, so, so I, you know, I, and, and everyone in the audience is like kind of they're learning, they learn what vaporware is or something more important. Yep. This just, just an example, but we're all laughing at ourselves in this industry because we, we have all these ridiculous buzzwords for things. Right. So, yep. so that's sort of what I created with this, the show using humor, this infotainment, which as you said, it had previously existed and retrofitting it, reformatting it for our industry. Now, Maybe I was too early. Uh, I sold out my first show, 400 people um, in Oslo. And um, when I launched my book, actually, I did my first show. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. Yes. Um, it was it was so much fun. I left that being so invigorated, thinking I was going to be the next Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> you know, like, it's <laughs> it now. It's <laughs> That's done. perfect. Yeah. Hollywood lineup, um, yeah. you know, and and I still, and I sell this show now. So, for example, a corporate, coming to your point there about, you know, engaging internally. Yeah. A corporate such as I did a show for Tessonet, which is a Lithuanian company we should all know about. I hadn't heard about it before, but it owns NordVPN and they have a bunch of other businesses. They have 2000 employees. So they're a pretty big unicorn in in Lithuania, in uh, in Vilnius. So they saw my show on YouTube and they were like, we want this for our intercompany event because, you know, like tech events, I've done this at before. Um, you know, you, you go to a tech event and it's the same, same, you know, obviously there might be some, in- hopefully engaging conversations and, and speakers, but you know, no, then some musicians, but there's never been entertainment, like that's industry yes. relevant. And that's why yes. I'm unique in it because I understand the industry. I was a VC, I've been an angel and I've been a founder. I understand all the nuances. I understand where to play on jokes uh, so, I can you know do a show that 's educational yep. and entertaining, and I sell that to to like tessanet. I did a show for them that was um tailored towards um cyber security mm-hmm. uh, i've done a show for deloitte i 've done a show for d n b the biggest bank in Norway that was focused on fintech yep. and that 's sort of a product that i 've created out of what i do and and you know and I try to book a couple of those as I do those every day if I could. Unfortunately, yeah. the, uh, I, 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 I'm not, but um, I would if I could.
0: I love this Matt because, dude, you're absolutely mental, and I love this. And it works <laughs> out. But I love the idea of just taking something that you really like and just putting it in in into your business and everyday life context. So if you enjoy late night, why not put up your own fucking late night show? I love that. And I mean, on the on the surface, this looks like a crazy idea, which obviously works, but. If we go into detail, you already checked some of those boxes. But I think the connections that are built is, first of all, you cut through all the noise. It's in terms of talking about the attention economy. Um, You're totally up there. And then also you build like all the foundational layers of trust, engagement, emotional attachment, humor, like all these things. You can even go to the, you mentioned it before, like the archetypical um, foundation that you view your life and even your business career as kind of a story. And there are all these Jungian archetypes involved in that, you know? So where do you find yourself in, in your career now? Do you play the main role? Do you play the side part? Do you, um, yeah, which, which, which is your role, so to speak? And I think this is something that really people resonate with on a very deep level, so to speak, for even mm. for their life and the whole understanding of what am I doing? Why am I doing this? How are we supposed to do this? And I think that's very inspiring.
1: People love passionate people. Sweet people. Yeah. Really. Exactly. And this is, this is the thing where I've, I've done shows or I've done a talk or whatever it might be over the years. And I, people have come up to me and, you know, whether they've asked me to do one for them or whatever it is. I, one thing I've learned is just, I go up on stage and I just become my true self. You know, I am honestly, yeah. if I could live on a stage. Mark, I, I would. would. If I could literally live on a stage 24-7, I would. And it's not because I love the attention. Yeah, look at me. I'm so fabulous. No, it's, it's not that. It's because I love the ability to um, take an audience and make them smile, turn them this way, make them laugh, pause, pause. Yep. The power of the pause, you know, and, and add value. And, and I want every time I do a show, whether it's I talk about angel investing, you know, in a, with 20 people or I go on stage in front of 5000, the biggest audience I've ever had at Oslo Spectrum, the largest venue where Trevor Noah did his comedy show that I went to where there were 15000 people in the audience, you know. Um, I love being able to uh, take that audience and and take them on a journey. And even if I mess up, uh, I'll laugh while I mess up. But everyone leaving that stage will go, "That guy loves doing this. You can tell." Mm-hmm. And then they'll hopefully exactly. all have left, going, "Well, that was a memorable uh, talk show, whatever it is." If I yes. was just the MC and and connecting the speakers, you know, that was a memorable uh, event. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the bottom line is people love passionate people. So you know, if you have a passion, uh, make sure it comes through. Whether that's tiddly winks, pottery, or public speaking, you know, yeah, people love passionate people.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think what you just mentioned are a couple of points that are especially also important when it comes to yourself as the performer like embrace your fails don't take yourself too seriously just be out there because this is something i guess especially in the german market where people still are kind of strict when it comes to business i mean you you witnessed it in person when you've been to to Hamburg, Germany, even though it was the startup industry. Mm. People are more uptight and I think this is coming from especially uh, the the American market and different other influences that swap into our industry here, um, that it's starting to loosen up. And I think these are mm. very valuable lessons for everyone who's on a stage, whether it's the Monday team meeting, a very tiny stage in the office, or literally the big stage with 5,000 people. So, but Matt, let's circle back. Um, Okay, I think we totally established why you love what you do and you've been able to build the Unicorn startup out of it and you went all in. But as I mentioned before, you did your exit. So how mm. did that happen? What happened exactly? Did you fly too close to the sun on your flying Unicorn? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so, yeah, so, so, yeah, started that business in 2018. You know, to be honest, like I, I had a hypothesis. Which was that mobile had just overtaken desktop and, and every other yep. digital, you know, device that we consumed digital content on as as the number one. So we, we consumed over 51% of our content, whether that be news read content, you know, whatever, um, on mobile phones. So I saw that mobile was the future and i also saw a converging trend in video video was like you know in the last two years it had grown by 80% online um you know something like 70 80% of all online traffic was driven by youtube videos so i was like wow video phone is what we're watching on youtube uh, videos is what, what we're watching why why am i watching a 169 a video yeah. you know yeah. across like 20% of my phone screen, you know, and then I had to flip the phone and people don't like flipping their phones, you know, like, so So I saw an opportunity to create content that was relevant for the, for the now. So that was sort of when the instigation came. And then I wanted to, what kind of content? Um, I, I wanted to create innovation-led content, information about the tech industry. Um, so yeah, I started the business, yeah, joined you on that program, um, hired a bunch of people, raised some money. And how we actually made money, because, you know, it wasn't all about me, It was I. I I used my ability to present content and create engaging content as this the the unique selling point. And then, you know, I would, for example, go to a bank and say, "Let's create a mini series that's mobile optimized about student entrepreneurship." And the bank's like, "Hey, we really need to engage students. You know, and this could be a way to do it." Um, cause we have a student led, you know, uh, incubator, for example. Yeah. So, and then they were like, all right, cool, let's do that. So then, so that's how I kind of sold products that were, I was, so like we, we, we were an iceberg of a business. Only about 10% of what you saw, uh, content wise that I'm in was what we produced. 90% of what we produced was white label uh, creative mm-hmm. content for brands. And I used yes. myself and the brand that I was creating to market the business, basically. So that's why I did that. Uh, it wasn't all about, hey, come hire Matt Smith and I build a business behind it. My investors, you know, wouldn't, you know, Well, why would they invest in that? Like, why would they invest yep. in a business where it's yep. just like that? So I tried to use my unique ability as a as a marketing tactic to get them in and then say, we can create the same for you. And, and that's what we did. So, so we did that over that period and we accumulated a lot of really good customers. So we were one of the first people doing it, effectively producing content. And I, I wanted to get away from producing content. I wanted to build a brand and, and, and merchandise and other things around that. Um, uh, but we, you know, we, developed, we got Microsoft, we got a lot of the big banks, we got a lot, some corporates, we, we got a lot of customers, which were high value businesses, right? Um, and, and that generated some good revenue for us. And then obviously 2020 hit. Now we're a business that creates and produces content, right? Which is quite labor intensive and you need to go to locations. And funnily enough, in February of 2020, I just finished filming a six episode miniseries for the German government for the DE Hub initiative through mm-hmm. the Rocket, um, which is based in Berlin. And we went to six German cities over two weeks and, 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 and trying to um, film episodes in each city of what makes those cities unique. Hamburg's one of them. Um, yeah. And uh, funded by them. And I got back to Oslo where I was based. And I, was, I actually said like to the universe, oh please i just want to be in one place for longer than a week right so it's your fault actually so it's my (laughs) fault now we
0: know who's responsible jesus man
1: (laughs) Covid is my fault, Um, and I remember when then the lockdown started. I was like, "Yeah, I was joking. I was joking. I manifested that um, because I was traveling so much, producing shows and things, and 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 content, and with production teams and things like that. As as marketing content, as creative content for these businesses." so then obviously, fortunately, we just done this big show. Um, and, then, and then obviously everything happened as it was. Things dried up. I, I laid off the majority of my team, took advantage of all, you know, well, you know, uh, obviously the government stepped in to, to help everyone in Norway and, and many yeah. nations too. And then, you know, the business was a little bit on hiatus. Like, well, what do we do now? Live streaming. So uh, I, again, now this is actually a funny one. Because I created a brand in myself of public speaking and being a host, Mm -hmm. you know everything dries up march happens and then april's coming around you know we've been we've been locked up for six weeks most of europe you know we did that 21 day no one's allowed outside unless you have a dog lockdown you know remember remember that now it's taking us back and it's like dude that's like that's 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 like almost two years ago actually Mm -hmm. literally almost two years ago crazy um then uh, out of estonia Garage 48, they launched a hackathon. Many of you sweet people will be familiar with what a hackathon is. If you're not, it's a 48 hour hack, meaning you get a bunch of people, developers and business people and try to create solutions to problems. So uh, in Estonia, in, in, in Tallinn, Garage 48, some really brilliant people down there said, let's create a hackathon to hack our way out of the crisis. The world's biggest Guinness world record, you know, uh, uh, winning digital hackathon for the first time ever. So um, they did that in Tallinn. Now they started this wave where the European Commission said, we'll support, you know, these, these initiatives. Um, so, th- so the second city to do one was Oslo. So they needed a presenter, uh, two presenters to, to, to sort yeah. of create a like a like a, um, a, a, a um, Olympic kind of HQ where we would talk during the whole hackathon, both to the people competing and both to the audiences watching. There were tens of thousands of people involved. Yeah, I got the call. Hey Matt, um, we need you know we need uh, we want a male and female host. Um, you know your name popped up. Could you do it? So you know I was like, yep, yeah, I'm in. And then obviously my friend, Uriya Oftadol, who's a, who has a podcaster from Power Ladies and is a TV personality uh, and, and a celebrity annoy, was asked to, too, and we've worked together before. So her and I sit down in the studio. 72 hours later, we do, you know, 50, What well, we do like 20 different live broadcasts, online, Facebook, tens of thousands of people watching. Now, the European Commission sees this. Uh, and then obviously, like Lunacord, obviously, we pivoted towards live streaming now at this point, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, seeing that this opportunity was going to come to produce live shows like this and produce content for live live events that now lo- no longer can be physical, but have to be live online. Mm-hmm. Um fidgetal uh, was the term that was thrown around, part physical, part <laughs> digital. <laughs> yeah. and And that wouldn't have happened unless... I, and I tried to build a brand around myself as well that positioned us in that space, right? So that kind of helped us through that period. And then the European Commission, Uli and I did uh, 150 live broadcasts over seven weeks during the lockdown phase. So that oh, was an incredible um, pivot. Yeah. And then come, come to summer, one of my, my third largest investor um, who invested in the business because he wanted to do a media play with his business one day. And they, want, they thought by investing in Lunicorn and Matt, we will buy uh, lessons and learnings and how to do this mm-hmm. and also how not to do this. Uh, you know, and, and, and basically they called me up in June of 2020 and said, hey, Matt, you know, um, would, you, would you mind consulting to us for a bit um, to sort of see if we could do this YouTube channel and this media play. Uh, that happened for about a month or so before, and it was a really good relationship. Um, and, then, and then basically they said "Look, how can we make this longer term? And I said, well, you know, let's do a Let's, you know, let acquire Unicorn. And yeah. I remember that dinner, I sat down with Eric. We went to a sushi bar in Oslo. Eric's such a cool guy. He's the founder of that business, the guy who invested in me. Um, you know, we, we had a bottle of wine and then we started talking about how we can make this. And I kind of, I wanted the conversation to go that way. And I know that, you know, he knew that that was one, one way to make this work. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, lo and behold, a month later, we were talking about them acquiring lunacorn with me with it. And and that's sort of where we got with, um, with, uh, with that, with that, those acquisition discussions. And then that was end of summer 2020, we announced the acquisition on November the 16th on my birth the 30th birthday we went public with their business acquiring my business.
0: Holy macro, that's timing. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's amazing. So, maybe all the sweeties who are not aware of how this works, who have not been working in the startup industry, how can I imagine someone Buying up your company and you being part of the deal. So how does it look? Mm. How did it look actually? How long were you bound to them? What what do they expect from you to yeah. switch the role from founder and frontman to being part of the big new thing now? How does that feel?
1: I'm glad you asked because it's a really interesting one, and everyone's story is different. And I'm gonna rev- I'm gonna I'm gonna tell about a really crazy story that actually resulted in me nine months later taking the business back.
0: Sweet people, how does your brand deal with the attention economy? Today, you're competing not only against other products or services from your industry, you're actually competing for the attention of your audience. Because the first step in every customer journey is attention, eyes and ears on your brand. That means you're up against such things as music streaming, social media or video platforms. How do you deal with this? answer is brand entertainment. With my studio, I help you to develop a brand entertainment strategy, finding meaningful brand stories that people can connect to, developing a content strategy, connecting your services or products to topics that are relevant in your audience's life, and crafting media products that capture the attention of your audience, build trust, and keep them coming back for more. So let's find and share your sweet spot with brand entertainment to get the clients you really want and turn customers into fans. Check out my website, sweetspot-studio.com and get in touch. And now let's get back to the show.
1: Acquisition happens. Now, obviously this this acquisition, how it typically happens is, you know, the acquiring company will will basically, you know, either they will, will, will place some terms down I actually went to Spain. They were based in Spain. I spent a weekend with the founders and we, we thrashed out a deal that was basically, you know, there's multiple ways you can t- acquire a business. Um, now I'll give you a buzzword just because I obviously love to demystify buzzwords in the startup yes. game. There is one of the acquisition types that's called an hire, An hire. So basically you acquire a business because you want either an individual or their team Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens a lot in the creative industries, because, like my business, the creative industries tend to be on contracts you know like project based business, so for example, the yep. design agency will say have two three million euros a year of business with certain com- customers. Um, but it, it's not reoccurring; it's year by year. So you can only really value that business on one or two times revenue. And actually, that business is very dependent on the people in the business. Your yep. creative business is only as good as how creative your team is. Yep. And that's why brilliant creatives are the value; they are the business. So I guess I was very pegged to the unicorn. As much as I tried to push the unicorn front, you know, you you. you you couldn't have lunicorn without matt smith to be yeah. honest like you know yeah. you, you you really couldn't so in terms of the 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 business that i created with my customers was very much on relationships with myself as is a lot of creative businesses many of you sweet people listening to this can probably relate so obviously you know these the, the, eric uh, and andreas the founders they they wanted to buy lunicorn but you know if i gave them lunicorn they could they could have acquired us for their for the for the book of business for our customer base, you know, et cetera, but how do you put a value on that right mm-hmm. um or or our you know media channels or whatever, but they weren't huge, so you know it's unless they' were within the millions, it's like well, you know, which they weren't yeah. Yeah. so so I was instrumental to that, and also they 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 wanted to create a business entity um in a media entity of their business, and I had that knowledge how to do that, so obviously. They wanted me, and they wanted the lessons and learnings, and the, and, and 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 the channels that Lunicorn had created. Um, so they needed to acquire me and the business together. I saw it as a great opportunity in a very difficult year of 2020 to take care of my investors. Um, and I had I had 10 investors. I have 10 investors, and they'd all invested collectively uh, 1.5 million Norwegian kroners in the business. Uh, which was, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand euros, basically, you know. So that was our seed round then, and um, I saw it as an opportunity to take care of them. To, to like, we we as part of the deal, this acqui hire, um, I would join their business for three years, and we would do a share swap. So their business, which was a really growing, scaling software business, mm-hmm. had a twenty million. Uh, um, uh, Norwegian Krona ARR, which is an annual reoccurring revenue, 2 million euro reoccurring revenue business, you know, and scaling fast. Um, and I was, and, I, and I, our revenue was a lot less than that, you know, and I, so I was swapping shares. Basically, we did a share swap, a part share swap deal where we swapped our ownership. And I, you know, I own, say, 70 something percent of Lunicorn. My investors own the rest. For a percentage in their business, and i won 't say exactly what percentage, but i 'll just use an example so say it was uh, uh, say it was twenty uh, percent of their business right mm-hmm. so basically we were swapping you know um, our ownership for twenty percent of their business, right yeah which would be given to us over a three year period um basically uh, every single month we would get one thirty sixth of that that percentage, and there are cliffs and things like that in that right so if I were to leave earlier, then we would get less and and all that kind of stuff right um, and, you know, and, and it was a good deal. It was a, at the time the, their business was only going to grow. So, you know, that, that, in my opinion, that was going to be worth millions of euros in five years. Uh, they would probably sell the business for, you know, 10, a couple tens of millions of euros, which my investors would all get their money yeah. back times three to 30, you know, depending on yeah. how well it went. Right. So yeah. for me, it was a good deal in a world where who knew if what was going to happen. Right. So, uh, so I joined their company. Right. And I, and, 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 you know, we, we had some certain milestones and things like that, which I, which I, you know, I I started to work on with them. I inherited a team that they had already. And I started to run a small team within their organization, Um, you know, and it worked and it didn't work. And the team worked what, you know, and initially what, what we wanted to do together. um, Yeah. Didn't work to be honest. Mm. And Still, and so, yeah, so basically, fast forward like almost a year, um, we realized that, you know, this was a learning for everyone. They were paying me a a very handsome salary, and that was part of the deal. Mm -hmm. Um, We'd done the share swap, um, and they decided they needed to change the focus of what I was doing within their organization. Yeah. And because they're just such great guys, the two, the founders, Eric and Andreas, they very amicably said, look, Matt, you know, when we acquired you and they said to me, this is what we want you to do. And this is what I signed up for. That's changed. And because we love and respect you, Matt, yeah. we, you know, we could say, look, dude, we own you. You know, like if you want yeah, to yeah, keep yeah, earning a yeah, percentage yeah. of our business, you, you do what we say, we, you move where we want. They could have done that, but they didn't. They said, Matt... We love and respect you. Um, obviously, we need you that things changed for their business requirements. We need you to do this. We know that's not what you signed up for. We, and, and so basically, they said, look, you know, we have two options here. You, you know, say, all right, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take a hit and I'll just do this and I'll just, yep. you know, yep. grip my teeth and push forward. Or we basically do a reverse acquisition, which is so rare in the startup game. I've never heard yeah. of one personally, apart from yeah. like, yeah. you know, people buying back a business. It, exactly. So yeah, basically towards the end of summer last year, we did a reverse acquisition where, you know, everything they'd paid me already was a sunk cost um, because they paid me that as a, as a salary, basically, through, yep. through yep. the Lunicorn. Um, and we basically effectively just tore up the agreement that said we owned anything in their business. I took back the unicorn. Um yeah so as of the end of so basically within a year I succeeded I did the holy grail of the startup game and I sold my business yeah I succeeded and then I failed at succeeding a year later yeah. Yeah. when I got the business back or you know however you want to look at it yeah. and it and it is so unorthodox Credit to Andreas and Eric, who were just so amicable about the whole thing. Yep. We even spoke about doing a big press release about it because it was so rare that we yes. all agreed. And, you know, no one, you, you know, yeah, maybe they lost a bit of money and time, but actually they gained so much in the process, yep. as did it's I. It's not a fail. It's no, not a fail at all. It's not a yeah. fail. It's not a fail. It's no hard feelings. It just didn't work out. um and yeah that's a really unique story i think that should be shared more often and i and i probably should make a video or a podcast about it as well because it's so rare
0: 100 percent. you know what i'm interested in now is the your your insight because i think a decision like this especially as you just put it you've been on the peak this is like every startup founder's dream you do your i made it i made it (laughs) exactly you sell the baby um it's an acqui hire. You're safe, so to speak. You're even wrapped up in this new corporation. So you don't have to go into detail what the what the conflicts were or something, but I wonder what you found within yourself emotionally, also as a vision for yourself, what standards you weren't able to, to drop or which vision for yourself and your everyday work and your future you were holding on to to guide you through this tough decision. Because I know that if you have an accomplished something like that and if you feel like hey i reached something that a lot of people tons of people would value so much so what was your inner voice saying to make you feel okay with reversing that whole thing
1: i'm so glad you asked that mate because that's a really really good question because i thought a lot about this and i've reflected on this because i then took the following year off which mm-hmm. i can tell talk more about as well um, afterwards, yeah. right so so basically you know um i uh, I, I did. I did the decision to, to, to do the acquisition because honestly, I you know I saw it was, it was an amazing opportunity um, to take care of the investors. Uh, we needed to raise money. I didn't have any employees at the time. I let them all go. You know the, the business was 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 as it was. Um, so I did that, and then. I could have, of course, just carried on and kept vesting, kept getting the shares in their business every single month. And for my investors for the next three years or, you know, year left, two years left or whatever it was, um, just over that. But I looked at myself and I was like, Matt, you know, you're in your prime. You've spent all this time, all these years, you know, building this side hustle which turned into actually something of value and something valuable and you know, they obviously want they, and they gave me the option. They're like, you know, we, we want to go in this direction, which would stop me doing that kind of stuff and focusing on something slightly different or completely different. And they are just, again, wonderful people because they gave me the option and didn't expect me to do it, you know. Um, but I just thought to myself, look, you know, you, you could stay in this holy grail. An interesting thing, I learned something about myself, Mark. Sweet people listening to this, maybe you can relate. But, you know, in the startup hustle game from, you know, from 2018, I quit my you know, good paying job. I took as what money I had started the Lunicorn mm-hmm. self-funded it at the beginning myself, fortunately gazed, gazed uh gauged some interest, raised some money a couple, six months later. And then, and then, you know, I could pay, take a small, but baby salary. And some months I didn't pay myself at all. Um, you know, but so, uh, then I went through that two year period of like basically earning bugger all and, you know, then being able to Make a little bit of side money on my public speaking, but I was mostly focused on Lunacorn, right? And then all of a sudden, I had this really nice salary, right? Oh, finally. Mm-hmm. Oh, safety, yeah. the yeah. safety net. This, oh, I have money in the bank every single month, you know, like guaranteed, right? You know? Yeah. Um, and after a couple of months, I felt complacent. I felt a little bit demotivated. Mm-hmm. And I was like, geez you know you the grass is always greener you think sometimes when you're an entrepreneur and you're in that hustle and you're and you're and you're i actually honestly and it sounds ridiculous but felt more i could achieve more and i was doing more and i was more creative when i was kind of struggling a bit every month to month not not i wasn't hand to mouth i'm never going to pretend that i was like that you know it was that hard but but you know living off the business in that sense right yeah um And then, I, and then all of a sudden I had this, this nice salary making up for the years past of poverty, you know, effectively. And I realized that, damn, maybe I'm more of an entrepreneur than I thought I was. Because I, ne- I, I, I never like to describe myself as an entrepreneur because I'm an entertainer that's monetizing a skill set, right? And also the term entrepreneur is so easily used and so overly used. Anyone can yes. say they're an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right.
0: You're talking, you're talking to someone who sometimes has to call himself a designer. So (laughs) that goes from, from the biggest agency to getting your nails done from a nail designer. So I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, so I, I am, you know, anyway, so I, so I, I realized that, you know what, actually, um, you know, I, I am more of an entrepreneur than I realized because I realized that I having, I all of a sudden had the fat salary and the security and it wasn't giving me what I expected. I wasn't, you know, and also I realized that, geez, when I had to all of a sudden report to a team and and I had superiors now versus being the decision maker myself, I didn't actually cope with that very well. It took some serious adjusting, Mark, you know, and I, know. I guess like anything, you know, there's a transition period. Right. And. The team I worked with were very understanding and, and they were entrepreneurs themselves, right? You know, they, they saw me as an equal co-founder, basically, not, not you know, the head of market, uh, media, which is kind of what I was, really. Um, so that was an incredible journey. I learned a lot about myself and I definitely got a little burnt in some ways because I, you know, had... You know, not sure. many people know what actually happened, you know, not, not many people know that I took the business back, which actually is still a success because the business is still alive to this day. It still hasn't failed. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a slow burn at the moment, you know, and I, and I, once I'd gone through that, Mark, like what next? Like, what do I do yeah. next with it? You yeah. know, I got the business back. I got all my investors back. I got all that obligation and that commitment back. I don't have a co-founder. I have no employees I've spent the last just, you know, t- telling all my investors, hey, I've made it for all of us. You know, it might not seem right this second, but I guarantee you in a couple of years time, this business is going to be worth a fortune and we're going to own a good percentage of it. And you're all going to make your money back. And they're like, Matt, you know what? 2020, half our businesses have failed. You're you're a hero, Matt. You you got through this. You, you sold. This is a success story. Yeah. And then, you know, almost a year later, I'm like, so it's back to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do I do now? What do I go?
0: Sell for your investors, right?
1: (laughs) I mean, like my chairman said to me, he said, "Matt, uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of the," he said, "a lot of your," it's a bit of an anticlimax, is what he described it to me. You know, very, very real. He said, "Matt, it's an anticlimax." I was like, "Yeah, I know." And I, you know, I was just making the best decisions that I could um, at the time. Sure.
0: And also, I mean, if they trust and believe in you as the founder, they probably carry on with this. So, but I I think this is very interesting because this is kind of where you are right now, maybe a year ago. And I think something really huge happened as far as I can tell from kind of the outside. We talk occasionally, but I follow you on social media. I check out what you do. And I see that after all these years of building a brand, being on stage, being an entertainer, very outgoing and yeah, kind of, living and working and putting a lot of power and everything outside that you have to do when you build when you entertain when you build programs and all of that i think your focus shifted inwards maybe for finding answers for handling some big questions so maybe you can take us with you what happened during the last year
1: i like the way you've described it um going inwards um because yeah that's exactly what this last year has been it's been dating matt smith uh, investing in Matt Smith, you know, in myself, it has been, you know, because after all of that, I, yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was like, okay, what next now? Um, immediately I made the first error and it took me to make an error to realize what I needed to do, which was straight after that, I rushed straight into starting a new business. Um, you know, I kind of parked Unicorn for a minute. It had a bit of cash in it. So I told my investors, look, um, look at the last year as me, I bridged the last year, like the business would have failed. Otherwise, you know, we did this thing, we bridged it lessons learned. Uh, you can't not fault me on finding, you know, you can't fault me on finding an option. I found an option, you know, anyway, uh, they were cool that I rushed into starting a new business with the wrong people. Uh, they're, they're, they're the right people for this kind of solution, but we were the wrong team. So I just rushed immediately into momentum. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, and, and then, fortunately, before we really got too involved, I realized that and we realized that and we called it quits. So I basically wasted a couple of months going out of this crazy period um, into this new thing. And then I realized what I should have done straight afterwards is I should have taken like three to six months off straight away, straight after it, after the yeah. uh, r- r- reverse acquisition. I should have literally, because it also finished in summer. So I was like, I should have literally gone straight off, taken some time off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't. I, I lost two months. That's fine. Lesson learned. Then I realized, Matt, go away. No social media, you know, nothing uh, external, stimulations, distractions. You know, you need to, I went through a breakup as well, which also contributed to this. Go and be with yourself and force yourself to dine alone, go on holiday alone. Now, we've yeah. all gone on holiday alone because we've all gone on business trips alone and all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about taking yourself on holiday, like actually going yeah. on a holiday intentionally yeah. with yourself, not on a business trip where you're going to be catching. If I go to a business trip in Hamburg, oh, I'll text Mark and see if he's available. You know, like I'm going to see yeah. people. It's not, yeah. it's not, I might sleep. Exactly, right? So I went away, you know, to Croatia for almost a month um, and, you know, did everything I wanted to do, um, read, meditated, um, went for dinner by myself, something I've never been able to do beforehand and would be terrified of. Uh, didn't sit there on my phone as a distraction, yeah. sat in that, journaled. And it was the most amazing experience, you know? Um, so
0: let me, let me before you, before you move mm-hmm. on from that, that's super interesting because how did you pick the things you just described? Because that's all very, sounds like all very planned out conscious decisions. Or did you just feel like that's what I need for myself? Or did you mm. research something, plan that out?
1: You know, I think it might have just been general knowledge that we all know. I, I'd been meditating mm-hmm. all of last year, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I journaling is something that I've been looking into and, you know, just trying to... um Talk about you know what it is to be a modern man. You know, like what what it is getting in touch with my emotions. For example, you know, uh, my my father died in in 2017 unexpectedly, heart attack. um, You know, and it was it was a shock, sure, uh, as it as it usually is for anyone who loses someone unexpectedly. And you know, I I a lot of the you know I I won't get into the the details of it, but like my father grew up in a generation which was very stiff upper lip men don't talk about emotions they don't talk about pain struggle yep. men and men 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 just put on a brave face and they're you know and and soldier on right and you know those are a lot of baggage that my dad carried with himself that could have been resolved i think you know if we'd spoken about it but i but for example, my dad died and I didn't, I, I couldn't cry like because I didn't know how to cry because ever since, as young as I can remember, I was taught that, you know, boys don't cry, men don't cry, be a big man yep. and all this kind of stuff, right? So I taught myself to cry at the age of 31 years old um, because, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, so this is one of the, some of the things, so I, I started to look inside and go, all right, so what are some, some burning issues that, that I have never made peace with, like, my emotions, being in touch with my emotions, you know, and I'll tell you this one thing, like I was terrified that if I s- got in touch with these emotions, that if I opened that door, th- the door would never be able to close again. You know, and i would just be this emotional wreck and this like really weak, uh, emotional guy and no girl mm-hmm. would ever want me. Cause I'm just, Oh, Matt always cries. He's so soft and in in emo- touch with emotions. That's not how it works. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I opened that door, I got in touch with those emotions, I acknowledged them, and now I'm so much more emotionally aware. I don't cry like I would expect, I thought I would just cry now at every moment, you know, no, it's yeah. not at all. Yeah. But I'm more empathetic, and I uh, believe that, you know, I am more emo- yeah emotionally aware and in touch with myself. Yeah. I'm a better business manager because i'm more emotionally aware of people's emotions and in touch with them and empathetic and i won't if a guy because i've had a guy cry in front in front of me in a business setting before an employee and at that point in time all i thought to myself was oh my god this is so awkward how do i get out of the situation how do i deal with someone crying with me let alone a man crying with a woman you can go oh they're there i'm a man you're a woman i can give you comfort oh here on my shoulder that's women women cry that's fine a guy cries in front of you, Jesus, what do I do? This guy's weak. Uh, I want to get out of the situation. Oh my God, I, you know, I'm going to tell someone afterwards he cried. What a loser, right? Um, which is in fact the absolute opposite. It's brave and it's strong to, to do that kind of thing. So, yeah. so anyway, um, I, I digress. Um, but I looked inside and I started to sort of, you know, try to work on certain things. And I, and I spoke about it a little bit publicly on social media.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that because, um, well, first of all, I think we share that experience. I lost both my father and my stepdad, mid-20s, and that to me was at the time, um, yeah, I think my learning curve was more about life and um, becoming more serious about everything. I've been kind of emotionally in touch on a different level, um, making music, being in the creative, very deep involved in creative projects, but I was like... Who cares? Somewhere the money is gonna come from. Somewhere something's gonna work out. And to me, it was like a bit of the opposite effect, which is like, "Whoa, Mark! There's no, no more money. There's no security net. There's nothing else coming in. So you probably grow up, and then you have to you have to find the balance between dreaming big, making money, getting real. You know. So I yeah. I can absolutely <laughs> understand that learning curve. And even though it's mm. a sad occasion, I think you can always draw from that and learn from that about yourself and about life and um yeah that applies to everything so it's amazing mm. that you talk about this publicly yeah
1: be- because yeah just lastly on that point and and you know i think this could be valuable to the audience to all you sweet people listening is um the reason i i just taught myself to cry was because when my dad died i remember i sat around a table of his friends you know um at a pub in england and you know obviously the oh, sorry. sorry, sorry. And one of them, who's obviously at that time, you know, well, he's in his 60s, he says to me, because my dad passed away at 62, he said, Matt, you know, I said, I haven't cried. And he said, yeah, when my mother died, when I was in my 40s, I didn't cry. But, you know, 10 years later, uh, something clicked and, I, and everything broke. And then and, and, and I fell apart for a month or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you'll cry, Matt. It'll come. It'll come, right? And I thought to myself, why do I have to wait for this, like, inevitable breakdown like everyone's just told me at some point you're gonna break down it's gonna you know you're gonna ruin you know you're you're gonna have to take time off work or stop I don't know whatever and I was like what I'm just why do I have to wait for this ticking time bomb why can't I just face the beast now and I think my father's passing as well which was at the end of 2017 is completely correlated to me starting my business in 2018 because one thing sweet people we can all learn from um extreme settings and environments right is my father, in, in the case of my dad, like I looked at my dad's life, like the six months after his death, I looked at his life. At some point I reflected and I, I looked at my dad's life. I literally went through his years, 62 when he died. Was he doing what he loved and what he was passionate about? Did he do the, his hobbies and loves all the time? You know, and I, and I learned that my dad had made a lot of sacrifices, both for our family and, and things like that. But honestly, my dad's passion was sailing and engineering, but he went through a different path in life because you know he he wasn't from anything and my dad was actually very successful um but he was also enormously unsuccessful because uh he he was smart but you know he was an engineer from Cape Town right you know in the you know in the 60s or you know like or 70s you know this place was deep apartheid the world was boycotting it no opportunities you know uh you're not you're not going to make anything of yourself right yeah so he was smart. So he did an MBA and went to business school and got a finance job. Right. But he he, he wasn't a finance guy. He was terrible at business, but he was smart enough to get the job, which got yes. our family to Europe, you know, which then created opportunities. And he became successful because he was smart, but he wasn't doing his passion or his interest. So, you know, uh, at the end of his life, I realized that, you know, he never followed his passion or his interest. And then he died, you know. And it was yep. always talking about when I, when this happens, I'm going to buy the yep. boat. When Postpone. this happens, it was yep. all, Postpone. all about yep. this push, 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 all these big dreams, all these amazing things. And, you know, and he was successful along the way. And then he was unsuccessful because he was in yep. an industry which he didn't understand or love. And I looked at my life and I was like, you know, 27 at the time. Uh, I had no regrets, but finance, I went down the finance route. I should have been a kid. I should have been an actor, Mark. Like I should have been pushed towards acting and performance. We're coming full circle here. Um, Because that was, that was the thing that I was naturally good at and enjoyed the most. And I'm fortunate that I rediscovered that late uh, in 2013 when I, when I did that first talk. And then when I moved to Norway, when I was still working in finance, no regrets, it's taught me and given me the knowledge that allows me to do what I do today. But My bosses, Maya and Knut of Angel Challenge in Oslo in 2017, pushed me on stage and said, Matt, you know, talk to this audience. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love this. Oh, yeah. And then people were saying to me. The one thing in my life, Mark, that the only thing really that uh, not to not to cry me a river here, but of course I've been told. I, you know, we've all been told we're good at certain things, and we are all good at certain things sometimes, and bad at certain things sometimes. But the one thing, the one space in my life where I've been told time and time again that I'm good at is when I do a show or I'm on stage, and pe- and people come up to me afterwards and say that was really funny, that was really entertaining, yes. that was really valuable. Yeah. You're good at this, and I'm like, wow. Uh, this is the one domain that that I get the most positive feedback from. So 100%. I need to double down on this. So yeah, anyway, my dad's passing was one of those triggers, these life events that makes you go, "Hmm, am I doing um, everything um, that I should be doing in my life? and And obviously within reason, you can't just go quit everything tomorrow and I'm going to be a painter. Well, yeah, you need to live. Like you said, there is a balance, right? You know, come yeah. on. Uh, i'm not saying that i hate passion porn when people are like are you not doing your passion if you want to make ice cream go make ice cream exactly no anyway but yeah i just
0: wanted to add to that because this is something first of all thanks so much for sharing this means a lot because (laughs) um i think talking about it is a giant step because looking from the outside a career that like you described the career your dad had or even at points in your career where you've been it would have been very easy from the outside to say yeah that's that's successful That's you manage. That's great, but cultivating this inner compass, knowing your inner north, um, wherever that draws from, could be tragically could be also of reading more, talking to people, listening to people who share. Like like right here, Um, it's like um, Adorno said: there's no right life in the wrong. So, but back to your journey. So, okay, at that mm-hmm. point, um, we know where you are. So, what else did yeah. you do with this, with this year? Because I look at you, I see your racing bike, I see you're in tip-top shape. Um, <laughs> what are you doing with your time now?
1: Yeah, so, so, yeah, so as I said, I've sort of taken this last year and a half off and doing a lot of investing in myself, yeah, as I said to myself, on holiday did a month of sort of off-grid uh, self-realization um, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Then I was in Lisbon. I was living in Lisbon, uh, Barcelona. Lovely. And then I've been in oh it's been a, it's been heavenly. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend I haven't had an amazing time. And <laughs> I uh, and now I've been I I'm in Cape Town, obviously, since October last year. <clears throat> and I decided that I wanted to start getting busy again, you know, as in work-wise and stuff like that after after April. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and basically, you know, end of last year I'd i I learned You know, I I highly urge anyone, I know it's a luxury, of course, to sort of have some time to invest in yourself, whether that be a week uh, or it doesn't have to be a month or six months or traveling, whatever. But but spend some time really just in, uh, you know, investing in yourself because I learned some things about myself, Mark, one of which or two of which is I looked back or, or throughout our lives, we often look at. When times are going, you know, like we're having a bad week, bad month, that turns into a bad quarter, right? We look back on that and go like, oh God, why is it going so bad? Oh, you know, everything's against me and and whatever. But we very rarely look back on why, when times are going well, like why are they going well? Like why is everything going well for me right now? And this is actually something that Matthew McConaughey said um, in his Green Lights, this book, right? He said, you know, if you look back at the times when things are going really well, for example, I would look back on a period... Um, when things are going well for me, why are they going well for me? What am I doing in my life that I don't usually do, or I'm, you know, that I'm doing consistently right now. And I learned two things about myself. And these two things are so important that if I have these two things, everything else falls into place. And I'm very fortunate. These two things are very simple things. One of which is running. I need to run like six days a week. Shoes. And, that's, and it. that's great literally yeah and, and and so that's that's an easy thing for me obviously living in a city that that you can do that in i love to run anyway i've always loved running and obviously i go in and out of running frequency as we all do with busy times and the other one is cooking i love to cook like i said at the beginning of this podcast i'm kind of a natural host in the sense that i love to yeah. cook and have people around for dinner and that just i take joy in that i like to To host and entertain and provide for people. So if I'm cooking for people at least once every two weeks, like a big dinner party or whatever, and I'm cooking, you know, because often like, you know, you're busy with things and you order food or you just, you know, whatever leftovers, right? Um, You think you're saving time. You know, oh, I'll save some money, uh, some time, sorry, um, by, by just ordering some food in or whatever. It's easy. I can carry on working. And you eat that food and you kind of feel a bit bad about yourself because you, you know, you're eating all this kind of rubbish and then you're, you're spending money and then it adds up, right? But if I simply would cook for myself at least five times a week and go out with some friends or, or cook for them once a week, once every two weeks and run, everything else falls into place. I feel good about myself. I enjoy cooking because it's meditative for me yeah it's what it's yep. my meditation cooking even by myself either sometimes just with a podcast sometimes with music sometimes i'll call a friend sometimes i'll have a glass of wine sometimes i won't but it's yep. all meditative for me and you know what yep. i'm gonna do it tonight because i haven't done it in a while um anyway um so so to your point about where i'm going with all of this is is that i learned i think this is one last thing mark you know i like to talk mate so sorry about that um it's perfect one thing, again, on this sort of passion porn that we say, you know, that, that, you know, everyone likes to say, oh, you have to do what your passion is or you're failing, right? That's rubbish, right? Because there's, we have to be real. So I came up with something because um, I came up with something and I call it the three Ps or whatever you want to call it. Everyone has, you know, a passion, a profession and a purpose. Yeah. And, and I, I made this up because I was like trying to understand myself and like, what is my passion? What is my profession? What is my purpose? Right. So uh, and how I defined them was: your passion is what do I live for? What do I absolutely live for? Um, your profession is what do I live from? Like what do I actually live from? What, what you know? What, 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 what provides me? And then your purpose is um, what do I stand for? Sorry, no, your passion. Yeah, your, your purpose. What do I stand for? Right? Yeah. Um, and you can think about it as three circles. And obviously, yeah, you know, the dream would be that they're all the same, right? You know, and, and yep. you know, some people that can be right, you know, um, but for the most part, mm, that's not true. Now, for me, uh, my passion, what do I, what I live for is being on stage, Mark. I just want to be on stage, educating people, entertaining people, preferably at the same time. That's what I live for. That's my passion. Now, my profession and that's what's emerged. You know, at any one point, ask me in 2013, what's your profession? I'm a venture capitalist. I'm a finance person who mm-hmm. invests in businesses, right? Ask me when we met. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm building a business, right? But in, in reality, like where I am right now in, 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 in most my profession is I'm a public speaker. What do, I, what do I live from? I live from public speaking, whether it be selling my live show, which I rarely do. Unfortunately, I'd love to do them every night if I could. One day, Mark, pushing towards, I have a show, but, but I also lecture accelerators. I talk about pitching. I talk mm-hmm. about investor readiness. I lecture on how to you know, be a modern founder today. You know, and, and so that's, my, that's what I live from right now, right? Yeah. And I'm scaling that up as we speak. Hire me, any sweet people, if you'd like. I'll do you a sweet people (laughs) discount. (laughs) All
0: links in the show
1: notes. All links in the show notes. There you go. Always be selling, as they say. And then my purpose, right? You know, like, of course, we're all told we should have a purpose. And, you know, and of course, some of us, it's obvious. Like, some people feel really strong about the oceans, right? And of course, Mark, you and I could go and join a Greenpeace boat. We could, But the reality of it is... I like to look at it from a very realist perspective. And this is somewhat still answering your question about what have I done in the last year or so because this is all things I've learned from this process, right? Um your purpose is in my in my opinion is if you want to leave an impact, how can you where where can you move the needle in the world? Right now, you Certainly. and I could go t- jump on a Greenpeace boat and stop some whaling, right? But in reality, our donation might actually have a greater impact than us individually. I might be terrible at stopping people from whaling. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so often there's a school of thought out of Oxford. I think it's called reciprocal altruism or something like that, where it's like some people, if you're really smart and a great banker, um, you going and joining a Greenpeace boat, well, it, actually you could have a greater impact as being a banker, making a load of money and then donating a lot of that money to support exactly. Greenpeace as opposed yeah. to being on a boat and going, I'm making an impact. No, actually follow what you're best at and, yeah. and then do good with it, right? Yeah. So having yeah. said that, I believe I can move the needle in the world of men's masculinity and mental health, because I believe that I can put my neck out there and talk about topics like learning to cry at the age of 31. Um, And a lot of my friends were like, Oh my God, thank you for saying that. How did you do it? Teach me because I can't cry either. And it's getting a problem now in relationships where girls or guys are like, you know, Oh, you know, you're a, you're an emotionless person. I can't be with that, you know, et cetera. Right. Because we're taught to be this way anyway. So that's that stuff that I've learned in the last um, the last uh, last year or so, um, and now I'm training for the Ironman, which is a bit of a tech cliche. Holy moly! Yeah, <laughs>
0: but also it's amazing if I've if if one anyone is following you on Instagram. You're busting your balls, man. You can totally see how serious you are about this. And I really appreciate seeing that. It's so cool. You're totally in your power and you're just so invested in that. And you share mm. this journey. You got your own account, Iron Mad. You can We can follow you on that journey. And I love how you, again bring this to the stage and share things that go well, but also the things that fail. Like, mm. um, I don't know, your bike breaks down three times a day <laughs> and, and stuff like yeah, that. And it it's has. just so, <laughs> it's just very entertaining to follow you around on that journey. Mm.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. No, and, and the reason that came about was very, bri- very briefly was, as I mentioned, the running thing was really, really going so well for me. And I, I, my running fitness was at the best it's ever been end of last year. And I was like, you know, I'm training all this time. I've obviously taken this time off, so um it'd be you know i'm training so much it would be good to train towards something actually because i'm just yeah. so fit right now and i mean like that's yeah. great that's that's great i feel great i'm healthy but i you know maybe i should run a marathon you know <laughs> i should do something with yep. it and i've done those before and the iron man which for those who are not not who don't are not familiar with that it's uh, it's a sort of uh, an ultra event ultra marathon uh, ultra distance event where i swim 3.8 kilometers in the ocean straight after that i cycle 180 kilometers and then straight after that i run a marathon 42.2 kilometers all in back to back right um yeah and i'm doing the south african championships in in april uh, and then after that uh, i've ticked that box and and then i can yeah amazing uh, m- move on to something else
0: that is amazing so to to i mean that's we talked about so much but as one of the last thoughts i want to put out there is what i really appreciate as someone who's invested in design and how you can look at designing things from different angles from um, packaging branding experience design digital offline events all those things to me it feels like you really um, got a hold of your whole life design process in a way and it's really like you somehow managed to get the bird's eye view of of your whole life and okay like the 3p model you just told us about which is amazing. I'm totally going to use this after the interview straight away and try and answer this for myself. Um, and I think a lot of sweeties will do that as well. And, and yeah, just to me it feels like you yeah, gained a new perspective and you design your whole life or redesign or readjust parts of your life. And this is something I really appreciate um in following your journey and I just wondered if there's some some new angles or some wisdom you gained from from having the freedom and the possibility to look at life from this from this lens
1: interesting conversation actually because i was chatting to a friend recently as well about this and i realized that i think the majority of us are taught to look at you know our careers and work as you know i will for example in my a lot of my friends work in finance because that's what i studied right you know i did two degrees uh, economics and then a postgrad in corporate finance right um Neither of which I'm really actually that interested in. Economics is interesting, but, um, you know, it's not my passion, right? Um, But in terms of how we uh, look at our lives and the life we want to live, you know, so my finance friends, for example, will go, all right, I get, I become an analyst. I graft for three years. I'll become an associate. Then I'll earn a a slightly, you know, and then I'll earn a better salary. Then I'll graft for two years and I'll become a VP and then I'll have people under me to do the hard work. So I'll work less. I'll earn like three times as much now. And then I, okay, now I'm flying a bit. And, and, and that's why I gave that example of the three P's, right? Yeah. Because, because then, then they'll go, all right, that's eight years in now. And, and, and now I can live the lifestyle I want to live, right? I look at it the other way around. I go, what is the lifestyle I want to live? okay now how can i attain that and it's not like i'm not Especially. saying oh i need to have 17 ferraris all right well obviously okay i can start a business then you know and obviously just make sure that that's successful then i can have that but yeah. i'm like you know um right now uh, i had this conversation actually literally a few days ago with uh, a friend who has a not, who has a business and and she's in that dilemma right now because it's been going for three years and it's, it's post-covid it's not doing so well and her family is saying hey you know, come home, get a you know proper job again and, and we'll support you and you'll be fine and you'll be happy. And she's like, yeah, whilst I'm not learning, earning the potential of what I could earn, like you and I right now, you know, um, well, giving myself example again as well, Um, you know, I could go and get a job right now where I'd like to think, obviously touch with toy, toy, toy in a consulting firm or, or, or something else. And and then I can maybe earn like, you know, 200,000 euros a year or something like that, you know, with a bonus and things like that. I can earn a lot of money. Like I could take a job that's my highest earning potential and you would think then I'm rich. So like my friend, she's like, you know, I, yeah, I could go, I could go, she's formerly a lawyer. She's like, I could go back to law and earn, yeah, say just, you know, a high salary, hundred thousand euros a year, whatever. Um, And then, you know, quote, unquote, I think I'm rich, right? But I'd be working really hard for something that I don't particularly love. I enjoy it because I'm good at it. But, you know, it's not like I love and I'm passionate about it. She's like, right now I earn like 40,000. So like, you know, like under two times less. But I have so much free time that I'm doing yoga. I'm doing all these amazing things. Aren't I richer now? Exactly, and that's the way I look at my life. Like I'm not earning the maximum I could be earning. Like yeah, you know, I could be maybe earning hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. I don't know if I'm lucky enough to get a job like that. Right, whatever it is, I could definitely be earning more if I took some proper salary job. Right, but but right now I'm like I travel where I want. I live where I want. Uh, I'm not le- I'm not left wanting. I'm still doing what I want, you know, eating what I want. You know, I'm still living a great life. Yeah, I'm not earning as much as I could be then and saving more and have a bigger flat and, you know, things like that. But right now, dude, I'm so rich.
0: Yeah, 100%. I'm so and rich. That's, that's, that's what, and also that's what you, what you sound and feel and look like mm. in a way that you are just very content and very happy. And I mm. think we've gone full circle now because we started at our times when we met. Uh, as mm. as as founders, as people within the startup community, and I think what you just said can resonate with a lot of startup founders, founders in general, entrepreneurs, because there mm. is also different ways to approach founding a company and getting into the startup. Are you working for the exit, or do you love what you do? Do you love your craft, mm. and you just build it around this? So that I think there's very different approaches to why you found something, how you run and conduct your business and how Mm. you will end up feeling about it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: Exactly. That's it, man. Life design. So don't think about, oh, I'll get that job and then I'll live this life. I'm like, I want to live that life. You know, how do I make that happen? How can I engine? And I will say no to things. So if that big, big money offer came in, because in 2018, I did this before I started Lunicorn. I just quickly thought I'd check what jobs I could get. And I did that. I got five job offers one was like the big money offer, the hundred and euro a year plus bonus my mom was like take the money and run you know like <laughs> uh but i was like yeah yeah but it was with a consulting firm and i would be working very hard and it's not what i necessarily wanted to do it's it's it is a path and lastly sure. on that sure. just just to finish that because those who have done that aren't doing things wrong either I'll give you an example of one of Of my finance friends. He's now done eight, nine years in finance. He's at, he's almost at the top, right? He's earning 200,000 euros a year, right? And it's not his passion. He doesn't live for what he does, but what he does now, the opportunity cost of him quitting to do a startup and spending his, you know, know, he he loves golf. And what he does, and he enjoys what he does because he feels smart, because he is smart, and he gets to do something that a lot of people aren't capable of doing, and it's fulfilling because he gets to do smart work, right? And, and, and contribute to things. Yeah, of course he's not like, oh my God, I live for this. I can't live without doing financial models for, you know, mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. yeah. But he's at a point where his, what he, uh, w- w- that his profession pays for his passion and also his purpose. Because he likes to, you know, I mean, I don't actually know, but say he likes to donate to Greenpeace now. Now his profession pays for those two things and that's okay. So if you are in that position, that's also okay. As long as you have the right life design. Now he just bought a Porsche, you know, like now he's got it all covered and he's in his early thirties and he's loving life and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, uh, but you know, his life design now is in the position that it should be. So I like to think about how you want to live your life and just set it up uh and and you know of course it takes some getting used to it, it takes some learning i didn't just do this overnight you know this didn't yeah. just happen for me like it'll happen for anyone else um yeah. not to mislead anyone
0: perfect matt we've gone full circle there's only two more questions left two questions that ask all my interview guests so the first one is what's next what can we look forward to you talked about a lot of things there's a lot of stuff in the show notes your book uh lunicorn your journey to iron man to iron mat um your personal projects so but what's next what's coming up
1: Everything I'm focused on right now is all down to the Ironman, April 3rd, uh, the race. I've took this opportunity just to train like a full-time athlete, something I've always wanted to do. That's just a bit of a personal thing. I, lo- I like fitness and, and all that yeah. stuff. So I've just sort of been selfish and I've just focused on training full-time. Um, so that's my main focus. I'm almost only four weeks away. On Sunday, it's four yeah. weeks So, uh, and I'm doing a half Ironman actually this Sunday. So, um, so yeah, just all all focused on that. But after that, you know, I really looked at what do I really love life design, Marcus, you know, like, um, life design, Mark, like, what, what, what do I love to do? And I love to lecture and I love to, 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 you know, my, my profession, like, what, what do I, what do I live from my public speaking? So I am in conversations with a couple of firms and accelerators to actually do some almost like resident lecturer, professor, Mm -hmm. entrepreneur in residence, professor in residence roles. Um, And I'm going to get back to Europe because I believe that's the space that'll give me the most opportunities. And I think after this conversation, it's reminded me to get back to doing my live shows. So I think I'm going to try and find a lowest hanging fruit way to get my live shows going again, even if there's only two people watching, even if no one's watching. And I'll commit to doing that weekly if I can, online, somewhere, try sell some shows. And, you know, it's baby steps and just try and get consistent again with doing something that I'm passionate about.
0: Very inspiring. I think we can all listen to that and work on that ourselves and my last question for today i usually ask people what inspires them right now but you dropped so many amazing recommendations for books for startups for your own work so what i'm really interested you talked a lot about cooking what's your favorite recipe can you share the mad special with us
1: well no the funny (laughs) thing is you know uh I have friends who are cooks right like chefs or or or, or, you know even when you say i like to cook people say what's your favorite recipe and it's like well exactly the fact that i cook means that i cook a multitude of things i think do you cook
0: yeah i love it i love the craft yeah it's yeah yeah it is it is
1: right you know so like it comes and goes like i go through i went through periods and where i would love to make vegetable stews, like I've gone through periods where I love to make uh, miso-based Asian fusion dishes, right? Right now, I, I'll tell you what I'm going to cook tonight because um, That's perfect. to be honest, what I've been cooking the last three months since I've been training is very basic and boring because I just need to eat carbs for my cycling mm-hmm. and my running. And so it's, it's actually my diet right now is not, is not very uh, exciting, but it's, it's actually about fueling right now at the moment, which usually I'm about, you know, passion and cooking. But, yeah. but tonight I'm, gonna, I'm actually defrosting some trout right now. And I'm going to do a bit of a trout with bok choy in the wok. Uh, and I've got some white rice because it's good for carbs and yeah. some simple miso paste and some um, broccolini um, and some sweet potato actually as well. Probably some onion and some peppers all in a big wok, bit of a stir fry type dish. Um, awesome. And then yeah, plonk, plonk that on some rice with some miso and soy. And, and then I think that's just about it actually.
0: Perfect. That's per- Sounds great. Thanks so much. And once you're done with Iron Mat and you can have some sweet snacks again, my recommendation, <laughs> if you haven't tried it before, try making some miso caramel. Goes great with popcorn or ice cream. You just stir up your regular uh, melted butter, sugar, maybe a bit of baking powder to make it fluffy. And then you stir in some regular miso paste and it gives your whole caramelized sauce a nice umami touch
1: amazing i'm all over that stay
0: stay true to the name something sweet for finishing (laughs) matt (laughs) it's been a pleasure thank you so much for sharing your personal journey your learnings it's been so inspirational i'm pretty sure sweet people take away so much from this thanks so much for being here
1: thanks mark thanks sweet people big love to all of you hope to meet you all someday somewhere uh ciao for now take care
0: what's a talk i really enjoyed talking to matt i appreciate his openness about his entrepreneurial personal journey sharing things that didn't work for him or affected him i think it's that kind of talks that resonate with people i think that's because it's part of everyone's business and everyone's life really so it's good to talk about that stuff i really like that we share the idea of bringing entertainment into the world of business i think that's where the future of of big and and relevant brands lie. And yeah, let me know if that inspired you to try a different approach, to tell different stories as a personal brand with your brands. Yeah. Next week, you'll hear a special episode. It's a deep dive about brand entertainment. We'll talk about some successful cases where brands did a great job in creating entertaining content, creating relevant brand stories or media products. Looking forward to that. That's all, folks. Take care. Have a great week, and I'll hear you on the sweet side. This podcast is produced by Sweet Spot Studio. New episodes each week, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed the
1: show, leave a rating and subscribe to never miss an episode. Find out more at sweetspot studio.com.